You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. This is the Thanksgiving special. We got Thanksgiving coming tomorrow, a lot of Maryland sports coming up. And we got a lot of things to talk about. We have, uh, I think, four different Maryland sports to talk about today. And we're going to switch. We talked about switching it up a little. And I think today we're going to start with some Maryland field hockey because we never actually went over their run to the NCAA tournament uh, final four. But first of all, I'm Dylan Spilko alongside Lauren Rosh and Sam Ostry. How's everyone doing today? We're all back home and we're all getting ready to talk about some Maryland sports. So let's just get right into it. Uh, Maryland field hockey. Well, first of all, congratulations to them on a fantastic run to the final four. They finished with a 15-7 overall record, 9-3 home record. And in the NCAA tournament, they obviously went to the Final Four. We got to edit some of those games from our beat writers. And we got to I, – I mean, I was watching the, the Final Four game against Liberty. So Maryland field hockey first. They, uh, they got past number 13, Virginia. They won 2-1. Got past number 10, Syracuse, 2-1. And then, Lauren, you and I were watching the number, a game against number 9, Liberty, in the Final Four. They lost that in a crazy uh, double overtime game. Uh, what do you remember from that game? What are some of the goals that you remember? Uh, just how memorable was that uh, contest? Yeah, um, definitely a memorable one. I think that, you know, Maryland was down a two-goal deficit. Uh, Liberty had gone up 2-0. I believe that there were no goals in the first half at all, and Liberty has one of the best offenses in the country, if not the best, and as does Maryland. And, you know, Maryland's, did, Maryland's defense did a fantastic job at holding Liberty and vice versa. And then in the third quarter, all of a sudden, you know, the goals started coming out of nowhere. Um, I know that Liberty had those back-to-back goals that kind of just made it seem like, oh, maybe that's kind of it. It's those two goals in the third quarter and they kind of won't look back. But shortly after, um, Bibi Donrat had a pretty similar goal to Liberty's final or Liberty's second goal, which was like an in the air goal and really kind of lots of theatrics, I guess, and, you know, put the turfs right back in it. And then the fourth goal or the goal in the fourth quarter, which was the only goal scored in the fourth, I think from, it was Hope Rose who took the penalty stroke. And that was really exciting. As somebody who played field hockey, I always always find it interesting to watch the penalty strokes. I think that they are such an interesting part of the game and we haven't seen a lot of them, if any, I don't think from Maryland this season and for Hope Rose to kind of break through on that penalty stroke and, you know, uh, not the score at two, two, that was definitely really exciting. And then in true final four fashion, this game went into, you know, seven V seven overtime, first overtime scoreless again, you know, Try kind of waiting to see which team is going to break through first. Um, and then when the second overtime kind of rolled around, it was a question of whether, you know, the game would go into now a set of penalty strokes or uh, to see who would decide it. And just watching that last goal for Liberty was definitely kind of when you look at it from Maryland's perspective, definitely a heartbreaker way to end the season. But for Liberty to be able to go to their first national championship appearance, also really exciting for them. So a really great game, really exciting game on both ends. And definitely, you know, action picked up so quickly in the third quarter and was really high energy throughout the rest. And as someone who doesn't really, like, know, I mean, personally, like, I never played hockey, field hockey, obviously. So I don't know, like, all the little nitpicky rules that are in field hockey. So when that penalty stroke happened, I was kind of – I was a little confused at first. I couldn't really tell what happened. And you kind of just just look at the ref to see what they're kind of pointing at. And then it took me like a minute. Of, oh, I was like, oh, here comes a penalty shot. It was like four minutes left. And it was a crazy moment in the game. But you know, that overtime period, I, I love the, how the field hockey overtime uh, kind of rules are set up, how they kind of take some manpower off the field. I, can't, I think it creates a lot more open space, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun to watch. It reminded me a lot of three-on-three hockey overtime. So there's just a, a, a lot more chances, a lot more back-and-forth action. You could just tell how ex- – I think it was in Austin. Ann Arbor. It was in Ann, it was in Ann Arbor, right? Yeah. So yeah. absolutely freezing. And these players, it's, it's just the ball's on one end, and then one deflection, boom, you're sprinting back. 
uh, like 100 yards the other way. So it's just a full-on sprint in, in that overtime period, especially in the freezing weather. So Maryland field hockey, I mean, they had a great season. They rallied. I mean, they weren't even supposed to even push it to overtime. They were down 2 nothing. They were able to crawl back into that game. So props to them for fighting all the way to the end. And a lot of credit to Liberty, who you said is going to their first Final Four. So congratulations. Or first uh, NCAA yeah, Final Yeah. I mean, they ultimately – Northwestern ended up winning. But for them to be able to go to yeah. their first appearance in school history has to be a really big deal for them, especially to beat a team like Maryland um, says a lot about what Liberty was able to do this season and, like, a, such a well-established program that Missy Maharg has created at Maryland – and for Liberty to be able to do that, definitely credit to their program. Yeah, so Maryland's season is now done. The field hockey season will have to wait until 2022 to resume. But overall, another fantastic season for Missy Mahark's club. And then looking at another successful Maryland program led by women, Maryland women's basketball, probably the most elite program at the school, maybe besides the lacrosse teams. But Maryland women's basketball, 6-0. and They just took down number six, Baylor. 79 to 76 I got to watch a portion of that game Lauren you were actually there they won that game without Katie Benzin Faith Masonis a very limited Diamond Miller on the floor so many issues going on for that team all at the same time but they still came away with a win against a top six team in the nation that is no walkover and they have one of the best players in Melissa Smith so just what were your overall impressions for that game what was it like being there and finally going as a fan. I mean, that was that was on your bucket list, no? Yeah, I definitely on my bucket list to get to every Maryland sporting event as a spectator rather than a journalist. And I saw some other people, other student journalists who've been covering different teams there who, you know, we kind of looked at each other and like, this is a little weird, right? Like being here and not doing, you know, reporting or whatever. So it was definitely really cool experience to, able, to be able to get to this game and see Baylor, see Maryland, two fantastic teams that are going to be really exciting to watch throughout the season. And for me, kind of like the way that Maryland was able to get this done is like they just consistently, everybody on the team is stepping up all the time and is just kind of doing what they're supposed to do and doing it well. And you don't always see that with all of these teams, all these Maryland teams, whatever it may be. And I mean, Maryland did not leave any points that they were supposed to have really on the floor. They shot, I think it was 17 for 18 from the free throw line. And it was perfect. I think up until maybe like the 16th or 17th shot, something like that. And, you know, we're really just excelling from there and, you know, had this dominant second quarter, I think it was in which they, you know, outscored Baylor 25, 14, really pulled away, went into halftime up 42, 35 over Baylor, a really strong team, a, team that is going to be a can like you know really a challenge for other teams going forward definitely seemed to be uh, a challenge for Maryland kind of initially coming out started not quite slow but a little bit more head-to-head like you were saying Melissa Smith is fantastic and she is going to continue to be such an asset for this Baylor team and when you look at just the way that Ashley Owusu played in that game I mean it's no surprise that she is continuing to lead this team yet again I mean she she played a lot her freshman season, even not as a starter. She was playing a lot, and she was leading the team in certain categories. And last season, I mean, we saw her break out, and, you know, we were covering the team, and we were able to watch her develop as a player. And she has just picked up right where she left off. And she, you know, she hits her 1,000th career point, and that is a huge opportunity for her. You have Angel Reese, again, another huge game, uh, big on the glass. I think that her offensive rebounds are, if not leading the country, top ranking in the country right now. And then also you just have Cheyenne Sellers who stepped into the role of starting. You know, she starts in her first game as a college or in her first collegiate game because uh, Katie Benzin was out and she stepped right in and was really able to make a difference. She wasn't scoring so much at first, and I think she, but she had this one three-point shot after, I believe it was a Wusu forced a turnover from uh, Baylor right after Maryland had scored, and her being able to get that three-point shot and energize the crowd, it was part of this big run for Maryland, and just watching her composure and the way that she was able to 
play a full game, full starter minutes and step into a role and help Maryland win without Katie Benson and, you know, faith in limited diamond, but, you know, stepping into Katie Benson's role, who's proved to be such an asset to this offense just really shows that Maryland was able to get this win solely because everybody just stepped up and did what they were supposed to do. And, you know, Maryland pulled away further than what ended up being a three-point victory, and it definitely looked like they could win by a little bit more. It it didn't necessarily seem like it was going to come down to a nail-biter, but it was a clear, they played fantastic, and it was really exciting to watch, and I think it's going to be really exciting to see kind of their games going forward, and it earned them, you know, the the win was clear enough combined with their other dominant wins that they had against their non-conference unranked opponents this week that they moved up to number two in the country, so Definitely something special going on with this team in College Park. It's crazy because Diamond Miller also ended with just five points, one for six from the field. I mean, she's only 11 minutes on the floor. She's obviously not quite herself yet. And for Maryland to still – and also Maryland shot 30% from three, 40% from the field. They would finish just 28 of 70. I mean – that's not the, the Maryland women's basketball identity that we have grown to know. Obviously, they have grown to be the, the, the top-scoring offense in the nation. And for them to come out and shoot 40% against the top 16, still to score 79 points, going 17 for 18 at the line, I'm sure Maryland men's basketball wish they could hit that mark from the free-throw line. I mean, it's, uh, it's unbelievable that they're still able to come away. I mean, this game was further apart than it actually was uh, later, like, throughout the entire game. It wasn't really a three-point game up until the final closing minutes. So just really impressive what they've been able to do. And they have a, they have a few tougher matchups uh, coming in. I mean, they got, they're going to the, uh, the Baja Mar Hoops Pink Flamingo Championship. They'll be taking on number five, NC State, number seven, Stanford. Uh, back-to-back matchups, and Brenda Freeze has said, "Look, I don't want, I don't want this season to just be another, you know, 26 and two head to the postseason that means surprised when you face some of the top teams in the nation." But you know, are are you on board with the the idea of stacking the schedule early on in the season so they get that experience, or is that something that you think can maybe derail the season? I, I mean, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sold on one point. I, I, I think it's personally good that they're going to be facing some tough competition right now. But then again, they're going to be, it's not, it's definitely, I, I would be, you know, I would be pretty surprised if they, I mean, I don't know. They could easily, they could win uh, these two games, but they're going to be tough competition. It's going to be a tough competition, but do you think it was the, uh, the right decision to have these two teams on the schedule coming up? Yeah. I mean, I love this for this team. Like, I love that they are facing this kind of competition out of conference. I mean, when they get to Big Ten play, it's going to be tough, and they have plenty of ranked opponents that they're going to play in their conference schedule. But when it comes to March and, you know, they're being – they're earning a seed in the tournament, I mean, we saw it last year. They get the number two seed, and it's looked at as, oh, maybe they're the underdogs as the number two seed. They're supposed to get – like they could be a, a number one seed contender, but maybe their competition hasn't been kind of up to the same standard or up to the same, um, you know, different conferences, whatever the case may be. And I love for this team that they are doing this early on. I think that, you know, we've saw the way last season this team responded to loss when they um, when they fell to Ohio State after they snapped that Big Ten streak. They were, you know, it was dominant the wins that they were having after the way that they came back from that. So I think that this really is this win-win situation for the team. Either they're collecting wins over top 10 opponents, like it's nothing, or if they're falling to them, then they're going to be able to, I think, bounce back relatively early in the season. We saw last season, they dropped one of their games in this tournament when they were playing. Um, it was, um, was it Arkansas and Mississippi State, I believe that they were playing. They dropped one of those games, and that was early on in the season, and that was not the same kind of caliber of opponent as, you know, NC State, Baylor, all these other teams. So, you know, they have lost early on in the season and shown a tremendous growth and success and improvement and, you know, just domination throughout. And so I don't think – I think it's only going to make them a better team, put them in a better position to, you know, get that number one seed if that's really what they are uh, fighting for, which it seems like they are. And, you know, continue to establish themselves as 
this like elite top five, top three program that they are hoping to be all season. So in my opinion, I think it is only going to do good things for them. Even if they drop a game or two coming up, I think that, you know, having this challenging of a schedule, doing it, I mean, travel to the Bahamas, I believe that Kareem Copeland from the Washington Post had reported that um, Katie and Faith also didn't travel with the team. So again, going to be down them, can expect it probably that maybe Diamond won't be playing full minutes like she was last season quite yet. And so if this team is going to be playing these, um, if Maryland's going to be playing these teams early at neutral sites, you know, without their home crowd, with down a couple of like their assets without their players, I think it's only going to make them so much stronger when they're facing these challenging Big Ten opponents coming ahead. Right. I completely agree too. Just to make a quick point. Um, so first, I think about the win about Baylor, I think that's a testament just how great of a recruiter Brenda Freeze is. And when you have two key players and three really because Diamond didn't play too much, when you have them go down and you still can compete with some of the best teams in the country, that's just how, how much depth they have on that roster. And that's because Brenda is really one of, if not the best recruiter in the entire sport. So there's that. And you talked about the schedule that they've built. And I think it's a great thing because it's not just the schedule. It's now they're hitting adversity early on in the season. And this is a championship robust team. I mean, if they don't at least go to the final four or really win a national championship this year, you, it would be hard to argue that, that it's a, it's a successful season, especially with the, just how deep and experienced this roster is. I mean, it's a ton of upperclassmen on the team. So if they can't successfully do that, I don't know if you could say it's, it's a successful season. And these are some of the teams that they'll have to play in those in those late March games that they're going against this week, like Baylor, or that they beat Baylor on Sunday and um, NC State and Stanford. And then they have South Carolina. I watched some of that South Carolina UConn game on Monday. South Carolina is by far the best team in the country. And they're gonna be that's gonna be an incredible game between them and Maryland. And they're as of now the favorites to win the entire thing. So I mean I think it's gonna be I think it's a great thing that Brenda schedules this tough schedule and she did it because they didn't really have a lot of adversity last season in the regular season. And then it hurt them come playoff time in March when they lost to Texas. So I, I think it's a smart move. And I think even as they're down players, it's just going to, it's adversity builds strength and it's just going to create uh, more of an opportunity for them to thrive. And just looking at this regular season schedule. And I mean, you can look at all the non-conference top 10 opponents, but you still got number four, Indiana, number 13, Michigan, number 21, Ohio state, uh, number eight, Iowa. I mean, there's just, there's just so much elite talent littered all over the schedule. And it's, I mean, by the time that March hits for this Maryland team, they will already have played like 10 replica March Madness games, maybe even more. I mean, they're going to be so prepared. And I think that's just, that speaks to the excellence that uh, Freeze does with this program. And I think it's, it's really only up from here. This, the sky is truly the limit for this team. So Maryland women's basketball, 6-0. and It's two of its next bit toughest matchups of the year. Number five, NC State. Number seven, Stanford coming up. So we will probably discuss those next week once those happen. And now I guess we can move to the other side of uh, the basketball programs at the University of Maryland. And that is the men's team. And the men's team, they are 4-1, and one, make no mistake, but they have not played the, the most quality of opponents yet. And they, have, they themselves have not been playing up to the standard that kind of media and the people you know, from the outside have been setting them to. They dropped out of the AP poll last week after they started at 21 and proved to number 20. They fell to George Mason, which prompted the uh, – uh, subtraction for the AP poll. Uh, and George Mason has had some ugly losses lately. They lost to JMU, George, uh, not George Washington, just Washington. And they just most recently lost to a one and four Nevada team. So that loss to George Mason is more and more looking like a, a very not good loss. And uh, Maryland also, they just barely escaped Hofstra by two points, 69 to 67 final. I think we should just get into that game quickly. Uh, so yeah, just a two-point win for Maryland. They were, uh, they were down 67 to 63 late. It, I think the mood was in the Xfinity Center. You could just hear it that they did not seem like they were going to win that game. I mean, they were down four with, I think it was with less than a minute to go or just over a minute to go. When Maryland was down at that point, did either of you really think they were going to pull off that win? Because there was a point where I was like, wow, okay, they're going to be moving to three and two. 
No, I certainly didn't. When um, the Hofstra player hit that three to put them up four, <laughs> it felt like, I think it was like around a minute or under a minute left. It felt like this was over and they pulled off some miraculous comeback late. But it was, it's, it's, a, it's a win they need, really needed because dropping two straight, like you said, to a Georgia Basin team that we were all high on at one point going into that game. But then, like, they're not very good. They've lost three straight since they beat Maryland. So maybe they weren't as good as people thought. And they played very well against Maryland, but that's not some, like, bad – and that's not some good loss. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a bad opponent that they lost to. And they really haven't been playing well this entire season. I mean, they've been down at half, I think, in three out of the four um, – or three, I think three games so far this season, they've been down at halftime. So they're getting off to slow starts. And it really starts with shooting. I mean, I had a piece out, as you guys know, last yesterday about this is the worst shooting start from th- from three-point range through its first five games in at least seven years. I mean, they're shooting 25% from three. And some of them are really open looks. You know, last year, a big problem with the offense was they couldn't get quality looks and they were just chucking up threes, but they were just a lot of them were contested. Fats Russell does a great job of getting downhill. Defense is forced to help on him, and he can kick out to, to guys for open three bowls. They're just not making them. And maybe that'll change. Maybe getting out of College Park will help it. Who knows what's going to – like, it really can't stay as bad as it's been. But this offense has no creativity when they're not hitting the three ball. And they're just – they're really struggling. And maybe they'll get back on track against some better opponents. But they play Richmond, another A-10 opponent, opponent that's like a middle-of-the-pack A-10 team. And they'll play Mississippi State or Louisville. And then they'll have Virginia Tech, Florida, and they'll get into the, the brutal Big Ten slate. So, I mean, if this three-point shooting doesn't improve, they're, they're going to be in for a rough stretch moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't think that, in, you know, in those right before the final, what was it, like minute and five seconds when they went on that run, I did not think that they were necessarily going to win. And I was feeling pretty confident that they were going to drop to three and two. And that's just because the way that they've been performing this season, Sammy touched upon it, they've been so slow at the start that it's put them behind early and it's, they've really had to claw back against, you know, in, you know, not even in the big 10 slate yet, but like once they get there, it's going to be a lot harder for them to kind of uh, climb back into games. And so I think when I saw them down like that with a minute to go, I wasn't necessarily expecting them to be able to just like somehow pull out exactly what they were supposed to do. And that's what they did. I mean, the last minute of the game, they executed exactly what they needed to, yet beforehand they weren't really doing that. So I think it felt almost out of character for this team to be able to do that. But like um, Turgeon was saying after the game, Coach Turgeon was talking about how, you know, they hadn't really – it was a really good opportunity for them to, I guess, get exposure to those, like, last second games. And I think Dylan and I, you said this when we were sitting there, it felt a lot like some of those Big Ten games that we've been – therefore in the past that have come down to the final seconds, but it's Hofstra. So, you know, it it definitely has a similar feeling, but shouldn't have felt that way. And at least not what the perception was coming into this game. Maybe it shouldn't have, but it'll be interesting to see how Maryland kind of reacts these next few games, see if they're able to kind of fix some of these, their shooting problems and maybe some of the other stuff that kind of is getting them in terms of like not coming out with the same kind of, energy and composure that they should be having yeah it's so early in the season but at the same time you can't help but reflect on the past teams that Maryland has had and how they have handled the beginning portion of the season I mean we've just been so accustomed to Maryland starting out 8-0 at home and then going on to just Big Ten play and moving on from there and seeing what happens but that's just that's just not the case this year I mean there's just so many new different parts to this puzzle for Maryland. Mark Turgeon's still trying to figure out everything. He's trying to figure out everything with uh, Wahab and Reese, uh, how much to play Ian Martinez, what to do with Hakeem Hart on offense. There are just so many different question marks on this team, and there are so many different kinks. And the fact that they're not shooting the ball well, are just make, is, that's just making those kinks stand out even more in what Maryland's been unable to do. I mean, it's just it's been shocking. And I think we somewhat should have expected this because, I mean, it is a very new roster. I mean, you have Hakeem, you have Dante Scott, and you have Eric Ayala returning. But other than that, it's a bunch of new pieces, transfers coming in, some young guys getting a lot of playing time. So, I mean, we should have expected expected this to some degree, even if these guys might know each other from from before, maybe played some high school basketball together. That doesn't mean that they're just going to come in and have the greatest chemistry. So, right now, they fell out of the AP poll. Uh, for top 25 they're not a top 25 team that doesn't mean that this team can't slide back in there maybe like in january when they 
work out these quirks and everything, but the chemistry just isn't there right now. They're not playing team basketball. They're not moving the ball particularly well. And that just, and when there's no creativity on offense, it's really a struggle to score for them. Go ahead. Oh, no, Turgeon was touching upon this also, that with all these new faces on the team, whether it's the older transfers or the freshmen, none of them have played on a ranked, you know, or they really haven't, don't have so much exposure to playing on an, you know, on an AP top 25 team and like kind of the, you know, he was saying this, there's this expectation to win when you're the top 25 team and teams are coming in looking to upset you and looking to pull off the win to make themselves be like appear as the stronger more whatever it is team so it is an adjustment to come not only come into playing with one another that's definitely different for them to kind of be doing this at this level even if they had done in the past but also just playing for Maryland as a program a program that is expected to you know whether it's steadily be in the AP top 25 or at least bounce in there you know starting there whatever it is like for them to now be out of it, maybe it'll give them kind of this chip on their shoulder and this edge to be able to kind of like, okay, we knew what it was like to be the top 25 team. We didn't necessarily necessarily perform how we hoped to. Now we can kind of get back there and then maintain our spot. And I get that the chemistry isn't there. I understand that it's early in the season. I get that it's five games in. You have a completely different starting five. You, you miss, you're missing Aaron Wiggins. You're missing Darryl Morsell. Oh, and Darren Marcel is all of a sudden the best college basketball player in the entire country. So, but, but shoot the three ball now out of nowhere. Yeah, he's he's the best three point shooter in the country. He's the best defender in the country, and we and Maryland men's basketball misses him very much. <laughs> so, but but Maryland is you know they shot the ball forty one percent against Hofstra, only twenty two percent from three. But the lack of chemistry it's leading to so many turnovers. It's leading to so many misconnections on offense. Maryland ended with 16 turnovers. You can't have that against a non-conference opponent. If you're coming into the season as a ranked team, having 16 turnovers on your home court against a Hofstra team, I mean, that's just, it's usually not going to cut it. And they really got lucky escaping with a win at home. But I came up with some questions, just some mid-season questions for you guys that I just wanted to lay off you. And, you know, the first one is, which one is more concerning? Is it the three-point shooting? That's at 25.4% right now. Or is Hakeem Hart's individual offensive regression? He has really fallen off offensively recently. I think last year he averaged around seven or eight points per game last year. He is not near that mark right now. He's averaging four points per game this year. He has been all but invisible on offense. Which one is more concerning to you guys and why? Well, first, I'll give Hakeem Hart a little bit of credit here. On the defensive end of the ball, he's become a much better and willing defender. I think that's because he has grown in height, and he's significantly stronger that you can see. So I think he's become a much better defender and even a rebounder. Um, offensively, the thing about it is he's the whenever he's on the floor, no matter what combination it is, really, he's the fifth option off- offensively to score. So that takes a lot of aggressiveness away from him when he's not always constantly looking to go to the hoop. Maybe he's playing more of a slasher role. We saw him knocked against Hofstra in like in under a minute. He hit like two, two threes, which was encouraging that if he can get that three-point stroke back. But he's always been a streaky, streaky three-point shooter. So you can't really rely on him from deep. And you're right. Like there has been a, a decent amount of regression from him. Um, I don't know if it's as big of a concern because I don't know if they, everyone's saying he's the X factor coming in. I didn't necessarily believe that because – I don't know if he's if, – if you're the fifth option offensively, I don't know – and Ian Martinez can come in and he's a good scorer off the bench. I don't know if you're really an X-factor type, but it, it, it's not comparable to the three-point shooting as a whole team that is that has really been struggling. And if they can get that back on track, and maybe that, that Hakeem Hart's one of those players that's contributing to that, and if he can get going, that'll certainly help the team as a whole and he'll get more minutes and maybe his offense will come and he'll start getting more aggressive going to the hoop because he can take it to the hoop. But I think a lot of that comes from the, just the lack of aggressiveness from him and him just not getting a ton of opportunities because he's on a roster with a ton of talented offensive players. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly the three-point shooting as a team as a whole than Hakeem Hart, who a lot of people were saying were an X-factor, but I never really saw it that way. Yeah, and I mean, I don't necessarily see this as something that I agree. I don't know if it's necessarily a regression due to a regression of like skill set or talent or whatever the case may be, but that when he is on the court, like you said, Sam, there are just so many other options to be 
give the ball to, to shoot the ball, whatever the case may be. And I don't, I mean, we've heard this now a few times that they think the coaching staff and the team thinks that Hakeem Hart has the potential to be one of these players who is making some of these shots from deep for Maryland. So it'll be interesting to see kind of like where in the near future, if he does kind of have one of these breakout games, whether that's before dip big 10 play or whatever. And by breakout games, just like being a more consistent shooter and kind of whatever that may be, what we're looking for, I guess, out of the entire team, but specifically from him in the case of being just more consistent from deep and kind of when he has those looks, when he's getting those balls, just like making sure that he's successful on them. And then we saw in that Hofstra game, well, we heard after the game, Mark Turgeon's dilemma with, uh, Q and Julian Reese playing them both or playing one or the other. And he eventually told Wahab, look, we're going to go with a smaller lineup. That's what we're going to go with against Hofstra. He stuck to his word. Wahab played like he didn't play a minute in the second half. Reese ended up carrying the load at the, at the five for Maryland. Just overall, who would you rather have playing more minutes? Is it Q or is it Reese? Is it matchup based? Because at this point, it doesn't seem that Turgeon hasn't figured out quite yet. And it doesn't, I, I mean, I don't have an answer to that yet. I'm not really sure. I think it should be uh, Wahab more. I think he's the more reliable defender. But, you know, Reese's offensive abilities seem a little more dynamic than uh, Wahab's. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I don't think anyone expected Julian Reese's development to come along this quickly. And it's put the Turgeon in a difficult situation, but it's really a good problem to have. I mean, they really struggled and didn't have any big man last year, and that was a big part of it. Now they have two legitimate options to play that five position. What I want to see is, first, I'd love to see them on the floor together. And when Turgeon was asked about that, he said, like, Julian Reese isn't ready to defend the four position yet, and they're still teaching him because he's a young guy. And then that makes sense. But I do think as they're going to play some really big Big Ten teams who have quality bigs, I think you're going to see them be on the floor together. And Julian Reese can knock down and stretch the floor as a four and hit the three ball. So that's encouraging to see if you have Q in the paint um, when, if they're ever on the floor together. Also, when it's just Q on the floor, I'd love to see him run more pick and roll with either Fats or um, – or Eric Ayala, because I think he can th- thrive there. He's, he's a nice, he has nice hands. He can catch the ball. He's proven to be a quality finisher with, with a good touch when he's not um, getting double teamed, where he struggled a little bit. So last game, it really was, and Turgeon said it after the game, and I, I believe him, that it was a positional thing because they, they were small and, and Q really couldn't move his feet out on the perimeter, so they had to go small too. So Q didn't play the entire second half against Hofstra. But the game before even, Julian Reese played more minutes than Q2. And so they're both very good players who are deserving of minutes on this team. So it's going to be difficult to have how they balance that. But eventually, I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, seeing them on the floor together. Yeah, and I don't think that you're necessarily alone in that opinion. I feel like we've been hearing that a lot, whether that be in you know, post-game availability or whatever the case may be, that you know it could be interesting to use them both at the same time. And you know, Turgeon was pretty emphatic after that game that – no matter how many minutes Q has been getting these last couple games, he is the team's starting center and he will continue to be that way, or that was the case then. And so I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how their roles develop as they kind of close out non-conference play and when they get into conference play where the players are going to be a lot bigger. And, you know, maybe that's what they've been working on in the last, you know, couple days since the last game and what they're going to continue to work on in non-conference play is get – Julian kind of adjusted to that four spot, but still, I feel like um, Q's production is still relatively promising. I mean, in the few minutes that he played the other day, I think he was shooting perfectly. I mean, he was three for three from the field and he also had six rebounds. So 6.6 rebounds, eight minutes, I think it was. So definitely not a poor performance from him by any means, but understandable why, I guess, um, to go with Julian in that situation, who is a little bit, you know, is moving his feet a little bit more on the perimeter, like he was saying. But I think that we will continue to see both of them play a really large role for Maryland. Just, I think, right now, I agree, Turgeon's just trying to figure out when exactly it makes the most sense to have which one on the court. And, you know, if you do have that conversation with Q going before or at halftime saying, you know, going to go with the smaller lineup, Q understands he's not playing for the rest of the game and he's still there and he's, you know, he's sitting on that bench enthusiastic like we did see him and, you know, cheering on Julian and continuing to help Julian develop. I think it is a really 
honestly great thing for this team to be able to have both of them and have Q who's had a lot of experience playing at the college level transfers in here has really he has had success here even when he's playing on the when he's double teamed and it's a little bit harder for him he still has had relatively strong performances until he's taken out and he hasn't been playing that much in that sense so I think that to have both of them is definitely not a, it's a good problem for Coach Turgeon to have and this coaching staff to have. And I think as long as both of them continue to be okay, I guess, splitting this time, it's going to be a really good thing for this team. So Maryland's 4-1, and one, and they have, a lot, they have a lot more question marks than we thought they would have at this point of the season. You know, coming into the year, we, we heard so much about how they rounded out their lineup with uh, the transfer portal, we thought with Q and Fats Russell rounding out the starting five that everything was just about set. But all of a sudden, some roster questions for Maryland. So now just taking a brief look ahead, they got, just like the women, they got the, the Bahamar Hoops Bahamas Championship. And Sam, we know you desperately wanted to go, but unfortunately you, <laughs> you are not in the Bahamas right now. So we're just going to have to watch virtually. And the first game that Maryland will play will come against Richmond. On Thanksgiving, what a wonderful way to spend Thanksgiving. We will be covering Maryland men's basketball. Uh, we will not skip a beat with our coverage. And Richmond, they're the number 63 team in Kempom. I believe Maryland is somewhere in the low 40s. And then the first Richmond, and then they'll be playing uh, Louisville, who's ranked 51 in Kempom, and Mississippi State, who's currently, or, or Mississippi State, who's currently ranked 43 in Kempom. So, you know, these are definitely the toughest matchups that Maryland has had all season. At, at first we thought the George Mason loss was probably was a tough matchup, but I mean, these are all of a sudden looking like they're going to be more difficult teams that the Terps are going to have to face. Are these games that you expect Maryland to win? I, I don't know if they're going to be favored in these games. Maryland definitely hasn't played the part of a team that should be receiving votes in the top 25, especially considering that Richmond just beat Hofstra by 13. Maryland only escaped Hofstra by two. Out of all these games, let's, let's compile Louisville and Mississippi State into the same conversation. Out of those three teams, which is Maryland likely going to lose to? Um, well, this is, Maryland's the best team in this tournament here. I mean, Richmond is a very middle-of-the-pack um, 8-10 team. Yeah, they did take care of business against Hofstra, who isn't good. Maryland should have won by way more than two. Um, so they took care of business against Hofstra, but they've had, they're three and two, and they've had some tough losses this year. They're a middle of the pack, a 10 team, like I said earlier. Um, so I really think that like, they're going to take care of business. I haven't looked at the line yet. I don't even know it's out for tomorrow night against Richmond, but I think they're going to take care of Richmond somewhat handily. And then Louisville, Mississippi state, we'll see who wins that game. I think that's going to be a difficult test for them, but I think they're the better roster. And Mississippi state's pretty good this year. They're, they, going to be probably more than middle of the pack in the, in the SEC. They'll be right towards the top. So I think it's going to be a great game if it's against Mississippi State or if it's against Louisville. But I think Maryland should come a walk away from this tournament 2-0. and And they desperately need to, too. The way they've been struggling and the way they've been playing, to come back home from this 2-0 and in the Bahamas, a ton of distractions, maybe regain some focus. Um, you know, they could. I think 2-0, and anything other than that, is, is really unacceptable. Yeah, I think this will be a good opportunity for them to maybe reset a little bit, you know, traveling away from all their games have been at Xfinity, traveling away for a little and doing, playing at a neutral site could be a good experience. And, you know, to have maybe that extra time to now travel as a team, maybe build some of that off the court chemistry to continue to do that. But I'm really excited for this Richmond game because this is one that Fats Russell was talking about earlier in the season, being excited for, you know, having transferred from URI. And I was looking back and I think he's had some great games against Richmond. He's had some not so great games against Richmond. So I think it'll be exciting to see kind of how he plays in this new setting having Maryland having the Maryland pieces around him rather than the URI pieces and I'm excited to just kind of see if he has a game that's kind of one to talk about afterward solely because he's been thinking about it or it seems like he's been thinking about kind of the matchups that he's had with them and you know with his past team so that's something I'm really looking forward to because I just think he's due for kind of another exciting game where he's kind of leading the way and then, yeah, I think Maryland should hopefully walk away for their sake, you know, walk away with the two wins that they 
are probably expecting, especially you can look at, maybe look at this two game stretch despite them not losing to Hofstra, but maybe like, okay, now we need the bounce back. Like we need to um, do more. So we'll see how it goes, but that's what I think. Yeah, I think you're just looking for a sense of urgency in that Richmond game, especially after the, the, the two-point Hofstra win. I think going into halftime against Hofstra, they were almost – they had like a late late half run. They should have been down at half from what I remember. So you're just really expecting more urgency from this Maryland team, and we already mentioned the, the terrible shooting. It really can't get any worse. So Maryland's going to have to try to regress back to their mean and uh, face Richmond. So – and now we can go over Maryland football. I think that's enough of the, the basketball programs and Maryland football. It's in its own different world right now. Uh, five and six record. They started out 4-0. They lost a few games. They've lost six of the last seven, I believe that math is. They have one game remaining. Loxley said in Tuesday's press conference, we are now out of time. And, yes, Maryland football is out of time to try to get that sixth win. They have one game left to become bowl eligible. They got a season finale meeting with Rutgers on November 27th on the road in Piscataway. It's, gonna be a, it's not going to be an easy game for Maryland. I think the line opened up at uh, two points or one and a half. Uh, Maryland is the favorite. I'm honestly not sure how, but they are the favorite going into that game. They're in the midst of a three-game losing streak. They've lost to Penn State, Michigan State, and now Michigan, uh, they most recently lost to Michigan, then number eight Michigan, 59-18. to 18. That was the longest football game of the season. We were in that press box for seemingly days. And <laughs> that, that loss officially made Maryland 0-5 against ranked opponents this season. You know, we were there for a lifetime. What are our initial takeaways from that game? Because it was pretty much over once it started. I didn't even think we were gonna have to talk about that game. And it was it was as ugly as ugly gets. And it was it was I think both teams we talked about it before, like both teams, it was the most irrelevant game in college football. I think that was played because uh Michigan was playing Ohio State next week. That was a huge game. And Maryland, everyone was pretty much fast forward to the Rutgers game where they both had five wins looking for a bowl game. So everyone it what what expected to happen happened. It was proven on the field. Mer- Michigan is that much bigger, that much better than Maryland that much better in terms of their talent, in terms of their coaching staff, in terms of their, their program success, everything. So it's what we expect. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that we, uh, once again, it was proved maybe that Maryland is not at that necessarily caliber to be competing yet with those top 10 teams. Loxley acknowledged it at the beginning of the season. I don't think anyone was expecting it to change too much between, you know, after seeing them lose to Iowa, Ohio State, and then like the next kind of set of wins where maybe it looked like they had more of a shot against Penn State and Michigan State. But once they dropped those two, I don't think anybody was too high on maybe Michigan uh, walking into College Park and somehow not finding a way to win. But again, same kind of storylines for Maryland that it is week after week, those penalties, you know, defense kind of slipping away, et cetera. But you know, Maryland kind of creating their own problems for themselves on top of playing a really challenging opponent. Yep, the same problems seem to keep coming up every week. The final 59 to 18, the second most amount of points that Maryland has given up this season. Michigan scored 14 in the first, 10 in the second, 28 in the third quarter, and then alone seven points in the fourth. 59 points is obviously a lot. They had over 503 yards. I mean, this defense, uh, I don't know if they could stop anyone. Who knows if they could stop Rutgers. Uh, the special teams is also a huge issue for Maryland. So they had that block punt against Anthony Pecarella. Uh, on the kickoff return, there was a 79-yard return touchdown on a huge lateral circus play. It was just another play that obviously is going to come against Maryland. And then Joseph Petrino, senior kicker, hooked another field goal, 48-yarder, wide right in the first quarter. So a lot of issues for Maryland, left and right. They lose by a lot. Toledo-Tokovaloa, though, some good news for Maryland football in that game. He broke the single-season completions record with 287. Uh, it's just a testament to what he's been able to do this season with, uh, with a lack of weapons for mostly the second half of the year. 
He finished the game 19 to 33 for 178 yards, one touchdown. He had that ugly pick six, even though uh, Carlos Carrier took the blame after the game. He said he didn't come back to the ball, but nonetheless, another interception. So not much to talk about on this offense. A lot of inefficiency, a lot of drops, a lot of penalties. The offensive line had those three penalties within the uh, the, the five-yard line or something. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen three consecutive penalties uh, when the team started on the four-yard line. But, you know, it is what it is. So I think Dylan's tone right now is, is an indicator of where, where the entire <laughs> Maryland fan base is as a whole. Yeah, it's um, – <laughs> You know, I mean, because everybody expected it, I think, because we all predicted at the beginning of the season that they would end five and seven. We knew that it would come down to this this final game against Rutgers somehow, some way. It may not have been the way that everybody predicted it, considering that Maryland beat uh, Indiana, who started off as a preseason top 25. And I think they're now two and nine. So just a lot of a lot of different things in the Big Ten this year. But here, I mean, it's just what, what it's what we all expected, a five and six record heading into the final week. But the offense, not much to talk about. Fifth time this season scoring under 20 points. The defense is still not good. Uh, realistically, looking at the matchup uh, coming up on Saturday, if you had to give just a magic number of what this defense needs to hold Rutgers to for Maryland to win, what number would that be? I mean, under 30, no question. Probably under 27. Um... But let me let me give a little positive outlook on Maryland football right yeah, now. Yeah, positivity. You know, it's, thanks, it's Thanksgiving week. Dylan is being so negative right now. We're, we're thanks. We're, we're giving thanks. We're, we're doing all that good stuff. So let me give a positive outlook on Maryland football. I'm thankful. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful. <laughs> but, like, first off, going to this Rutgers matchup, Maryland has won every game they're supposed to win this year, which is not a thing that you could say in the past years in this program. And they've lost and lost pretty badly every game they're supposed to lose this year. But that, that's the thing, like, this team is 5-7, and seven, and Loxley said it yesterday, he was like, it's good that fans would be disappointed in a potentially, fans are disappointed right now in a potentially 6-6 six and six season. Like, that's, they haven't been, they haven't had a 6 win season since 2017, not since Loxley's been there, not in years. So there is reason to be furious when you just, there's so much hype for these big games and they constantly let down. But here's the reality of Maryland football. They're not a top 10 team in the country. And if anyone thought that after the, how horrible they've been for so many years, the last few years, that just immediately they'd be a top 10 team in the country, that, that would be delusional. And when you see them get their doors blown off by these teams, these are top 10 teams in the country. We look at Iowa. That was a top 10 team in the country. When uh, Michigan State, top 10 team in the country when they beat them. Michigan last weekend, Penn State, I believe, was a top 10 team in the country um, when, they, that, when they were in College Park. So that and that's the big how big the gap is between Maryland and the top ten team in the country. And these top ten team in the countries are uh, competing for national championships and competing to go to the college football playoff. So like Maryland isn't close to there, but you would be absurd to think that they would have been three years in. But just to to have the opportunity to go to a bowl game and have a six win season right now, I mean that's progress and that's all you can ask for. And it, it's understandable how frustrated everyone is right now. But and they they need to beat Rutgers this weekend. You know this is all predicated on them beating Rutgers this weekend. But just ha- to have this opportunity right now, I mean, I, I don't I don't understand how people aren't thankful. <laughs> There's my rant. All right, yeah, all right, good rant, <laughs> good rant. So we got a uh, so five Rutgers is also five and six. Both teams are playing for the same exact scenario. Uh, I mean, at the beginning of the season, it was pretty much thought of that Maryland was a little ahead of Rutgers, but Greg Schiano and the Scarlet Knights, here they are, five and six, right toe-to-toe with Maryland. And they got a home game, but they're not favored. So I think we could get right into score predictions. It, it could, if Maryland loses, this is our last Maryland football score prediction of the season. That's extremely sad. Uh, we've had a wonderful time with all these predictions. And uh, I do not want to start out because I'm still thinking of my predictions. Someone please give me their prediction first. All right, I'll go. Um, I, I think. Did we all predict five and seven before the year, or Lauren? Did you have yeah. six? No, we, we all predicted five, five and seven. Yeah. Yeah, they are five and six, but I'm I'm going to switch it up by one game. I think they're going to win against Rutgers, and I think they're going to going to go to their first bowl game since 2017. Um, again, Rutgers is a bad team. They're favored, albeit very slightly, for a reason. And like I said, Maryland's won all the games they're supposed to win this year, 
And they had a three-game losing streak earlier in the year. People thought they would be defeated. They came in and beat a bad Indiana team. That was at home. This is on the road. I don't think it's going to be too much different, though. Um, Maryland's going to go to a bowl game, and they're going to win this game 27-23. to 23. I also think Maryland's going to go to a bowl game. I think that, you know, they're, I agree that they've won the games that they're supposed to. And they've been wanting to win these last few games, as any team would, but they haven't been able to kind of put together the pieces. I think Maryland's defense still, though, lets up a lot of points. So I think that Maryland only wins by a little, and I think they win 34-31, because I'd be, I'd be really surprised if even if they won, they held them to under 30 points because they've had trouble in. Dylan is not happy with that. <laughs> no, I'm just I don't I don't know what to I don't know what to say for this prediction. I think that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to play devil's advocate here. I'm gonna say that I'm gonna say that Rutgers wins. I just I just don't know if Maryland can get it done. I don't know if they're gonna be able to win on the road against a team that's in the same exact scenario. Because you got to keep in mind before Rutgers did get shut out by Penn State. Sure. But Penn State's defense is much better than Maryland's defense. And Rutgers also kept it close with Penn State early on. It wasn't really a 28-point game. It wasn't a blowout the whole way. Well, Maryland kept it close with Penn State, too. Right, right, right. So, yeah, <laughs> I'll, tell me about it. <laughs> but I, I think that I, I'm going to go with uh, Rutgers. Uh, I don't know about uh, – I'll say 28-21 Rutgers because I don't think that Maryland can hit a field goal. So I think that I think that'll be the final. I think Rutgers wins by seven. I think they are going to a bowl game. So I think that will do it for the Testudo Times podcast. Possibly our last football predictions. Very sad, but we will see. Well, next like you're sad about that. <laughs> <laughs> we will see next week which team gets the bowl game. Uh, we hope to cover a bowl game uh, for Maryland's, but we we will see. We it, only time will tell on Saturday. So we covered a lot of Maryland sports today. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Testudo Times podcast, and we will have an eventful podcast next week shortly. So thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next Wednesday.